look there, not at you. Okay, I'll just look at Jeff. <laughs> oh, my day-to-day -day life. Can I think about it for a second? It's fun. I am a stay-at-home mom. It looks different every day, which is challenging. Typically, my day looks like having a hard time waking up in the morning. My husband and I own our own business. I'm an interior designer. My job is the executive director of a nonprofit. Homemaker extraordinaire. It's <laughs> a hard question. That's a really good question. Contentment can be hard for me. I know when I'm not content, it's because I'm looking around at others. Contentment is more of just a posture of our heart. It just means to be happy. This feeling inside where it's like, I'm okay. I'm gonna be okay. And I can laugh about today. Contentment didn't come until I had a personal relationship with Christ. Spending time with family brings me satisfaction and contentment. I've had the relationship and the job and all the things and still felt lonely and sad and even depressed at times. I could just feel that battle in my heart of all of these things that I was trying to fight for and they just fell short. I think I have found contentment when I am just fully trusting the Lord. And just when I flip the switch from needing the things around me to be okay and just my relationship with Him. And not trusting that my circumstances have anything to do with how much He loves me and just how good He is. I think that's a loaded question. I would rephrase that and I would just say, is, is Jesus enough? I think the day-to-day -day can make it a little bit harder because we have so many distractions and so many other things occupying our time, then I think I'm reminded of the true like joy and peace that we can have in Christ. A lot of those times, especially when I'm in those alone times with God, it's like He's reminding me to be okay with where I am right now. And in that He makes me content and satisfied as well with who He created me to be and who I am. And it's a day-by-day -day thing. Um, and I really, I think God really did show me, hey, I give you enough grace for today, and then we take tomorrow together. Faith is not a feeling, it's not this euphoria, but it's saying, hey, I'm trusting to choose God for what He says He is, and I'm choosing to trust His Word, and that Jesus um, is the only way that I, uh, one, can get into heaven, but two, um, that I can find satisfaction and fulfillment here on earth. Yay! That's pretty good. Yay! Thank you. Awesome. Thanks. Is that it? Okay. Awesome. Great. Amen. Amen. Man, how good, pleasing, and acceptable is it when women sisters dwell together in unity? Amen. Um, my name is Callie Nixon, and I am so excited to be with you all tonight and just to get to share some of my heart with you and um, just talk and encourage each other like we've been saying. And um, I just want to personally congratulate each and every one of you because it is January 26th and you've officially almost made it through the worst month of the entire year, <laughs> right? I have a love-hate relationship with January. I mean, once, first of all, if you, if you have children or around children, you work in a school, they're walking Petri dishes. Are you kidding me? Like, it's like you have the streptococci bacteria and you have, you have been gifted with influenza for your whole house for four weeks. Or, or my like personal nightmare is gastroenteritis. You know what that is? That's the both ways. It's coming at you. You know what I'm saying? That, that's a stomach bug. And so also something that bugs me about January is like, everyone is like motivated. Do you know what I mean? And sometimes I just, my little heart rebels against that. Like I, God bless Jenny Allen. She's a part of our body and she put out this dream guide thing. Y'all, it's been sitting on my desk for three weeks and I'll like visit it. Be like, nope, not yet. Not ready to dream. And then I'll come back and visit it again. Be like, nope, not yet. I think we're starting 2019 in February in our house. That's when I'm going to be ready to start. But I do think sometimes I love the idea of January. I love the idea of a fresh start. I'm a goal setter. And so one of the goals that I wanted to share with you all a little bit about is last year I took on what I like to call, you know, like the battle of the baby weight bulge, you know, or if you're me, it's like plus 30 years of emotional eating before that and then the baby weight bulge. But I took it on 
I had a back injury, played a lot of basketball in college and hurt my back and it had come back. And so due to some issues with my weight and some issues due to the fact that I had a boy child that decided not to sleep through the night for two full years of his life, kind of messes a person up a little bit. So like my hormone system had crashed, my immune system, my gut health had crashed. I knew I needed to lose weight. And I had walked through several doors really faithfully and for some reason, nothing had worked. And so finally, um, I, I tried this thing called keto, or as I like to call it, where like food fun of any kind goes to die. Like <laughs> when people are like, like, what is keto? I'm like, eat like a rabbit and you're gonna be like, just fine. Like just, and then the celery, anyway. Um, but praise God due to the grace bestowed upon me, keto worked for me and I am now standing before you 65 pounds lighter than I was last year. Guys. Thank you. Y'all, that's a first grader off my body. Like, it's like I took a first grader and just like unhitched her and sat her on the ground. So, you know something else that's been amazing? Do y'all, I have discovered buttons. Do you know that they make pants with buttons? Like, I lived in this realm of like the eternal elastic waistline where like it could just be as far and wide as you needed it to be. And now these pants have buttons on them, which is fun. But the buttons do cause a little bit of like a Dunlap situation. Are y'all familiar with the Dunlap situation? So it's like, you've got a lot of love that's occurring in this area of your body and someone wants to, to like hem in your love. And so your love doesn't have anywhere to go, so it just kind of Dunlaps over. And so that's like the Dunlap situation. But for me, if I'm honest, if I'm being totally honest, I kind of made this deal with God in my head. I was like, in the back of my mind, I was like, okay, God, I'm gonna make these changes and I'm gonna lose the weight. And then you're gonna take away all of my physical and emotional problems because you're a Coke machine and I'm putting my money in and you're gonna give me what I want. And I'm gonna be happy, wealthy, healthy, and whole because I won't doubt myself anymore and I'll be wearing buttons. <laughs> Can I tell you something? Do you think that's happened? Y'all know. No, it hasn't happened. I wanna tell you something, ladies. I have suffered this year. And it's taken me a while to be able to say that because I think you can always find someone else who suffered more than you, right? But it's become really important for me to be able to be saying, hey, I suffered this year. And I just wanna pull the curtain back a little bit for you and tell you a little bit of what that's looked like. Um, it's been dark. And um, it looks a little bit like a name of someone you love ringing on your phone and you hit ignore because you wanna live in isolation and you don't really wanna talk about the hard things that are in your life, so you just kind of pull back and ignore people. It looks like the spirit whispering to me something to do. Hey, baby girl, you're hurting. You need to come sit by me. And instead, you know what I'd do? I'd go see a movie by myself. I'd avoid sitting with God, Enneagram 7. We avoid difficult feelings like the plague. And so I'd just insert any pleasurable experience I could into that moment so that I wouldn't have to deal with my feelings. It looked like impatience with my children. I'd feel literal and real fear of being left alone with them. Not because of what I fear I'd do, but just the sheer terror of that voice in my head, you can't do this, you can't do this, you can't do this. I endured 16 weeks of physical therapy. I had yeast in my hair, it itched 24 seven. I had warts on my face, numerous doctor appointments and MRI, deciding whether or not to get on antidepressants. I was basically a one woman party, like all right here, just a party in a box. I mean, can you imagine, like, warts, yeah. It was, it was bad. And some of those things have gone away with the weight loss, but honestly, many of them have remained. And so why do I tell you all this tonight? It's not to complain. It's because one, let's skip acquaintance level and just go straight to being besties where we can talk about things like warts on our face. And then two, because I want you to know that I'm about to ask you something really difficult tonight. And I want you to know that when I ask it, I know what I'm asking. But I want you to know that when I ask it, if you follow it, it could change the trajectory of your life. What I'm gonna ask us to do tonight, ladies, is to delight in God. And it's really simple, but it's really hard. I'm gonna ask us to delight in God in triumph, trials, and in tarrying. So first, what do I mean by delight? Delight literally means to take great pleasure in. I'm gonna ask you to take great pleasure in God when the sun is shining, when the storms come and every moment in between. 
And here's why I think this is important. We are constantly barraged as women specifically with a thousand different reasons why we shouldn't believe in Jesus. But one that I think Satan is winning in the Western culture is discouragement. And you're walking through life, you're minding your own business, trying to serve the Lord, and bam, all of a sudden, like trial, suffering hits you in the face, and all of a sudden, sudden we think God's ripping us off. We, we, so many of us may still believe that God is real, but we've kind of stopped believing that he's good, that he sees us in our pain. You may find yourself here tonight where you may have once believed in God, but the people who, who say they represent God don't look very much like him. And so you've kind of gone, forget it. If that's what that is, I don't want it. You may be here tonight and you may have never stepped foot in a church before. Can I tell you, you are so welcome here. You don't have to be, be able to pretend to be anything that you're not. We just want you to know that we're grateful that you've trusted us with your time. So we can look back on many good things in our lives, but then God allowed this. Then he put me here. Then he put me in this unchangeable situation, this unbeatable diagnosis, a death of someone who to you was the whole world, a betrayal from a trusted friend. And somewhere along the way, ladies, our trials have grown bigger than our God. We've lost perspective. We've taken our eyes off Jesus and we've allowed our struggles to take center stage. You know what else? Our victories have become too little. They're sweet for the moment, but they don't satiate us like we thought they would. And so after a while, that feeling of euphoria goes away and we're left empty again. We've also become a little too restless in our waiting when the answers don't come as quickly as we want them to. What's happened to us? I wanna make a case tonight that I think it's because we have stopped the discipline of delighting in God alone. Good news is we're not the first people to struggle with this, right? People throughout humankind and human history have struggled to understand how to delight and trust in God since the beginning. So to kind of learn a little bit more tonight about what it means to trust in God, we're gonna be in his word. And we're gonna end up in a second in chapter 12. We're gonna take a look at the story of the Exodus with Moses. And so in order to do that, we're just gonna catch up a little bit. So you've got the Israelites, okay? They've been in slavery for over 400 years in Egypt. God raises up a deliverer named Moses. Bunch of crazy junk happens with him. He's supposed to be killed. He's not. He ends up being raised in the house of Pharaoh. He comes back to Pharaoh and is like, God has anointed me as a deliverer for my people, and I think you need to let my people go. And Pharaoh's like, thank you for asking. No, I'm not going to let your people go. And so the next part reads kind of like a good Alfred Hitchcock film. You know, it's like darkness for days on end, gnats flies up in your supper. All of a sudden you're going out in the morning to milk Bessie the cow and she just falls over with the, with the death of the livestock. And then the final coup de grace is God takes the lives of the firstborn Egyptians, including Pharaoh's son. And he is like, get out. And so Pharaoh is freeing the Israelites. And that brings us up to chapter 12. The Israelites are free. God is finally bringing triumph to his people. That's my first point tonight. We're going to learn how to delight in God in triumph. Moses is going to lead his people out of Egypt, not only to freedom, but they get to plunder the very people who enslaved them. So if you look at chapter 12, verse 35, the Egyptians are like, that God had given the Israelites favor with the Egyptians. And not only are they like, they're like, get out, get out and take my bracelet and my earrings. And I just want you to go. You know, do you ever feel like that with a neighbor that stayed too long? Like, please just, please, you want a casserole? Go, you know, like you just tell that it's time to go. That God has given them favor and they're being led by this pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire at night so that they can travel through the night. Can you imagine the cacophony of praise and celebration? The Bible says there were 600,000 military-aged men. So you include women and kids, and they were prolific. We know that they were, because the Bible says they were. So you add it all together, some scholars believe it could have been double that. So y'all, Dallas has 1.3 million people in this city. Can you imagine if everybody all together all at once started shouting up praise to heaven, how loud that would have been? God loves to give good gifts to his children. He had planned and orchestrated this exodus because he loves his people. Can you imagine if the Israelites had said, wait, hold on a second. This might be a trick. 
What if we leave here and there's danger ahead? No, they got up and went. Or if for a minute in their triumph, they would have said, you know, my muscles have really gotten strong in the midst of slavery and this malnutrition has done wonders. I do believe that God has freed us due to my strength and my strength alone. It would have been foolish. They got up and they went. And I see such a sweet reminder for us in this, that when in triumph, we delight in God by worshiping him, not his gifts. We delight in God by worshiping him alone and not his gifts. We can celebrate the victory, but we worship the victor. We can receive God's gifts with thanksgiving. We just can't forget to turn them into an occasion of worship. So we do that in life, right? You get engaged to be married. It is good and right for us to celebrate you. You, you get pregnant and we're gonna celebrate with you that you're sustaining life with your body. If you've been shown favor at work and you're being promoted and seen, that is something to celebrate, but we don't worship it. We don't count it as ultimate. We use it as fuel for praise of our creator. I've got three kids, two girls and a little boy, and we're kind of in this golden season right now, and we've had some not golden colored seasons, but um, they have this ability right now to be able to play for like 30 minutes one day without um, fighting. And so I was like, I'm going to notice this. This is a moment of triumph. I'm going to stop and notice it. And I'm like, candy for everyone. We're all getting, go to the pantry. We're getting candy. So I'm like, Skittles for you and Skittles for you and Skittles for you. And the first one runs away without saying thank you. She never does, but we're working on it. And the second one (laughs) says, thank you, mama, and runs away. And then all of a sudden I feel these tiny little baby boy arms around my legs. And my precious three-year-old goes, mommy, you're the best mommy in the whole world. And I looked at him, I said, and you are my favorite child. And he scampers away. But in that moment, he's not really my favorite, I don't say. In that moment, y'all, I had this thought where I was like, that is so the heart of God. It's okay to be grateful for our gifts, but how beautiful that even before we look at the gift, we look at him and reaffirm who he is to us. Some of us move so quickly onto that next thing, we don't even stop long enough to notice that we are in a season of triumph. So first thing, stop and notice it. I don't do that enough. And I think even it's important to make it a discipline. Even if you have to work hard to find the little things to delight in. I had a really tough beginning of this week, like face on bed, bawling, God help me kind of thing. And we were up here at church and I was with my son And sweet Freddie, who many of you all know, he works on our maintenance staff here. He just stopped, he got on his knees and prayed over my son and just started praying for me and just thanking God for who I was. Y'all, he had no idea what what a gift that that was to me. And so taking a moment just in the midst of my trouble and my heartache to go, thank you, God, you see me. And so sometimes it's really hard to know if if we're delighting in the Lord. And so I've got two questions to ask you just to kind of help. Number one, am I worshiping the gifts or the giver? Easy question to ask. Are you reveling in your achievement and success? Are you taking credit for where you are? Like how weird would it be? I have been asked to speak to the women at Watermark Community Church. God doth place me in this place because I pontificate with an ecclesiastical excellence. Aren't you glad you gave me these gifts? I might die from hellfire and brimstone right on the spot. Not really, but how weird would that be? If that's what we do though, when we take credit for our gifts and we're kind of like, I'm really good at hospitality. I'm gonna make a quiche like no one has ever seen and I'm gonna bring it to church and everybody's gonna know. We do it. I mean, name whatever it is that you struggle with, but I think we all have a tendency to do that. Second question, are you holding your gifts loosely? Do you know that life is built in seasons? We're gonna have high tides and we're gonna have low tides. Are you walking through the triumph, kind of just waiting for the next shoe to drop? You know, like, like Eeyore, you know, Pooh's kind of out there like, beautiful sunny day today. And he's like, it's probably gonna rain. <laughs> you know, like, I, I know God's gonna take this away in five seconds, so. No, we don't, we sit and enjoy it. Another thing we can do in the midst of trials In the midst of the sunshine is a beautiful place to decide how you're gonna act when it rains. It's a beautiful place to cement our theology, which means what we believe about God, because the storm is coming. So when you're in the sunshine, take a minute 
and go, hey, the sunshine is beautiful. It feels warm on my face. But when the storm comes, God, I'm going to say that you're good. Because the storm's coming. You just heard it already tonight from two of our faithful sisters sharing about their storms. So we enjoy the season of triumph, but sometimes in that season, it's really difficult to know if we're putting our hope in the giver of the gift until that gift is taken away. So the Israelites are about to see this for the first time. We just had this historic triumph and now they're ready to trust the God who knows and loves them, who've saved them with these incredible miracles. And um, no matter what happens, they're following him, right? Let's see. So my point to tonight is to delight in God in trials. And this is kind of actually a, a study in how not to. You know how sometimes it's a study in how to. This is look and repent when we see what happens next. So we move into Exodus 14, verse one. It says, then the Lord said to Moses, tell the people of Israel to turn back and encamp in front of pi Haharoth, between Migdal and the sea, in front of baal Zephon. you shall encamp facing it by the sea. So God told them exactly where to go. So this is a picture of the Red Seashore. And it's something like what it could have looked like where the Israelites were facing and, and where they were told to go. And so then the Egyptians changed their mind and they decided to come after him again. And so picture this, you're sitting here, you're Israel, your eyes are closed, your tambourine's out, you're dancing, you're feeling the salty sea air, relishing in your freedom for the first time. And all of a sudden you hear it before you ever see it. It's the rumble of hundreds of thousands of Egyptian shoulders, soldiers. They've looked around and they've noticed their empty tents and they've noticed their work projects that are suspended and they're coming after you. God knew that the place he was putting them was near a sea that was too wide to cross, mountains that were too high to climb and against an enemy coming that was too fierce to be defeated. They were quite literally backed into a corner. So you think about it, to, to be saved so miraculously only to die now. But these people have seen miracles. These are the people who God turned the Nile to blood for them. So surely this is a time to choose faith over fear, right? But they don't, they choose fear. In chapter 14, verse 11, they said to Moses, is this because there were no graves in Egypt that you've taken us away to die in the wilderness? What have you done to us bringing us out of Egypt? They lack faith and they're full of resentment. But God in his grace does the impossible. Moses stretched out his hand over the sea and the Lord drove back the sea by a strong east wind all night and all day. And they walked on dry land and the people of Israel went to the midst of the sea on dry ground, the waters being a wall to them on their right hand and on their left. He parts a sea in one of the most magnificent miracles in the whole Bible. And then as the Israel, as the Egyptian army follows them, he stretches his hand back out over the sea and the waters go back into their resting place, engulfing the Egyptian army whole. Here's what I learned for us in this truth. God might purposefully put you in an impossible situation. He might purposefully put you in an impossible situation. Some of you may say, no, 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 no. God doesn't put us in trials. God allows trials to happen to us because we live in a broken world. And that's why, I mean, honestly, does he put us there? Does he allow it? I think he does both. I mean, you look at the word. He told them exactly where they were supposed to go. He put them there in order to display his glory. And for us, he might put you between a rock and a hard place in order to grow your faith and display his glory. He might allow you a, a, an immense trial. He might allow you, I know some of you in this room, he has allowed you immense suffering. You might get cancer. Something might happen to one of my children. Some of us may encounter suffering as a result of our own decisions. I know I put myself in that position more than one time, but no matter how we get there, God whether God allows our trials to happen, he puts us there, or we get there as a result of our own foolishness, do you know what? The response is the same. We delight in God. The remedy to our suffering is delight. And so in trials, we delight in God by reminding ourselves of his promises. We delight in God by reminding ourselves of his promises that we're not alone. Psalm 119 Verse 75 and 76 says, I know, O Lord, that your rules are righteous and that in faithfulness you have afflicted me. Let your steadfast love comfort me according to the promise of your servant. 
His rules are righteous and they can be trusted. So we remind ourselves that not only does God allow affliction, can I tell you tonight that he is with you in your affliction? Can I also tell you tonight, 100%, I guarantee that he will deliver you from your affliction. But can I tell you how he's gonna do it? He's gonna do it in his timing, for his purpose, and for his glory. Can I tell you one more thing? It might not be until heaven. You might carry your suffering and your thorn around with you until you enter the gates of glory. And can I tell you what, if you're a believer in Christ Jesus, the moment you enter those gates of glory, you know what you're gonna be saying? You're gonna be saying, I would have done it another hundred years because this is worth it. One of the most beautiful things that I've seen, stories of trial, there was a Christian brother who's a missionary in China named Brother Yoon. And this wasn't that long ago. This is probably 30 years ago. He'd served four years in prison got for preaching the gospel, got let out of prison, continued to preach the gospel. And so the central Chinese government got word that the house churches were planning to unite. And so they ambush him at a prayer meeting. And Yoon jumps out of a window and he breaks his leg in the process trying to escape. And they get him and they take him to a maximum security prison in Zhangzhou, China. And in order to ensure that he never tries to escape again, from his kneecaps down to his ankles, they take a club and they repeatedly beat him over and over and over again and shatter his legs. Do you know what he does while they're shattering his legs? He cries out to God. He can't walk, so his Christian brothers in Christ have to literally pick him up and take him to the bathroom. Do you know what they're doing while they're walking? They're singing songs to Jesus together and encouraging each other with scripture. Do you know what he does with his toilet paper? He writes scripture on it to encourage his brothers in Christ. And one day God says, all right, Yoon, my boy, it's time to go. I'm gonna need you to stand up and walk out. And he's like, Lord, totally would. Legs are broken. <laughs> At this point, he hasn't walked in six weeks. And God says, this is your day of deliverance. Get up and walk out. So he goes, okay, stands up on broken legs, starts to walk. He walks. God opens three different iron gates for him. He walks out of a maximum security prison. A taxi is waiting for him. He gets into the taxi. The taxi knows where to take him. He drives him to a house. He's greeted by a little girl who says, Brother Yoon, my family and I knew you were coming. God told us, and so we have prepared a place for you. Here's a safe house, because we knew that people would be looking for you all over the city. Who is like our God? He delivers us, ladies. But can I tell you the best part of that story? Flipping right and Scripture on toilet paper. That's the best part of the story. The best part of the story isn't that God delivered him. The purpose of deliverance is not so that we can be free. The purpose of our suffering is intimate presence with God. Listen to what he says. He says in the prison, I didn't suffer for Jesus in prison. No, I was with Jesus and I experienced his very real presence, joy and peace every day. It's not those in prison who suffer for the sake of the gospel. The person who suffers is he who never experiences God's intimate presence. He was never alone. The Israelites forgot that God was with them. Brother Yoon did not. So I ask you tonight, what impossible situation do you find yourself in? Remember where you are is not a mistake. God will deliver you. So if we're to delight in our trials, specific and excruciating, but we're also supposed to, to delight in the more trudging struggles of life, the situations that seem to never change, no matter how much we pray. And so what do you do in the situations where the answer's not no, but it's not yes yet? Again, our answer of delight is still the same. My third point tonight is how to delight in God in the tarrying. So let's define what it means to tarry. It's to delay or be tardy in acting or doing, to linger in expectation, to wait, to abide or stay in a place. So we go back to our text and keep reading this incredible story. We find this cycle of God miraculously saving his people through great miracles. Israel says, Jesus, I, Lord, I promise to trust in you forever, forever. And, and then they encounter another struggle. Their faith fails. And then God saves them again. It happens over and over and over again in the next few chapters. And it kind of culminates in number, Numbers 13. 
And so they finally get to the land of Canaan, which is the promised land, which by the way, God, God had prepared this place for them. God had, had not taken them out of Egypt and had them travel through the wilderness without a place in mind for them. He had a place in mind for them. Do you know that he has prepared a place for you? He has gone and prepared a place with you in mind. And so they send out 12 spies and the spies go to the land and they bring back a report and all but two of them bring back a negative report. Their report is factual, but it's faithless. So what they say is, yes, this land is flowing with milk and honey and the ground is ripe for harvest and it's beautiful and there's grapes on the vine. But I have to tell you something, guys, we can't go here. You know why? There are very tall, strong men here and they will kill us and we will die. What do you think that was, was to God? What a slap in the face. Shoot, I parted the Red Sea, but I forgot about the very strong men. <laughs> oh, the very strong men are the things that I actually created that I am not certain if I can get my very chosen people into the land because of these strong men. It was a moment again to choose faith over fear, and they don't. So this act of disobedience caused a ripple effect that would have a consequence of the Israelites wandering for 40 years in the desert. They didn't know how long they were going to be wandering. They just knew that anyone over 20 didn't get to get in. And so they kept hearing, okay, God, is it yet? Not yet. Is it yet? It's not yet. Is it yet? It's not yet. Our life has never been on our timetable. Can I tell you that tonight? Your life is not on your timetable. His timing his purpose, his glory. What are you waiting on? Where does it feel like the Lord is tarrying? Are you in a season of extended singleness? And you don't, are you just out of college and you have all these gifts and all these passions, but you don't know where to go or what you're supposed to be doing? Are you a young mom who is so full of, of talents and gifts, but right now they're in a season of dormancy because your life is, is involved with sustaining humans and wiping bottoms most of the time? Are you a mom working two jobs to make ends meet to keep your kids off of food stamps? And you're sitting here telling me, use my gifts. What do you mean? I'm just trying to keep food on the table. Can I tell you something specifically tonight? You're a warrior for God and for your family and we are proud of you and we honor you, okay? You need to hear that tonight. Maybe you're an empty nester and you feel like you aren't appreciated. Do you feel like people have written you off because you've gotten older in your years and, and you're not ready to be put up on a shelf? Where are you tarrying? When we tarry in that season, we delight in God. You know how we do it? We hold on to hope. We delight in God by holding on to hope. Ladies, we know how the story's gonna end. I've read Revelation. I know how the story's gonna end. The Israelites didn't know how their story's gonna be, be ending, but we do, we get that benefit. So that doesn't mean we can, can't be honest about our sadness. There's lament all through the scripture. Psalm 119, again, verse 81 and 82 says, my soul longs for your salvation. I hope in your word. My eyes long for your promise. I ask, when will you comfort me? Can I tell you something tonight? God will not lead you where his power can't protect you and his grace can't sustain you. I'm gonna tell you again, because you look like you wanna hear it again. God will not lead you where his power can't protect you and his grace can't sustain you. What confidence we can have in our God. So I'm telling you how to hold on to hope. How do we hold on to hope? Three ways. Just remember, God's word, his people, and his spirit. We commit ourselves to God's word. Psalm 119, 11 says, I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. God's people, we allow ourselves to be surrounded and encouraged by God's people. Every single person in this room and watching online, you can check that box. You're doing it tonight. You're surrounding yourself with God's people. Number three, you depend on his spirit. You know what that takes for some of you? you got to stop talking long enough to listen. I said that. <laughs> do you know what some other you, of you need to do in the middle of your quiet time? You need to turn off your phone. I need to do that. If we want to actually listen to God more than we talk to him, we have to quiet ourselves long enough to hear it. So I told you earlier about my weight loss and 
while that's a triumph, I have to be honest with you all. Even today, I am in currently more pain than I was 65 pounds ago. I'm not healed. My hormone imbalance is still a huge issue. I have plantar fasciitis, hip impingement, compacted nerves. I spent lots of dollars on myofascial therapy and strength training. So while, of course, there's immense joy in the victory, I'm not healed yet. God tarries with my healing. And like the Israelites, I say, will you heal me, God? Not yet. Will you heal me, God? Not yet. Can I tell you something? In the heart, the deepest parts of my heart, when I'm asking him, will you heal me, God? Sometimes, this, earlier this week, I felt him saying, baby girl, do you really want me to? Can I tell you what the answer was? It's no. It's no. Because right now, my weakness keeps me tethered to my God. I'm holding his hand and I'm needing him to help me stand up. And you know what I think I'd do? If he said yes to my please, you know what I think I'd do? I think I'd let go of his hand and I think he'd be running. And for a while, like a little child, I'd turn back and say, isn't this fun, daddy? Isn't this fun? And then I'd keep running. I'd say, isn't this fun, daddy? And eventually, you know what I'd do? I would lose my way and I would fail. I've done it before and I know that I would do it again. So tonight I tell you, I choose tethering if the Lord tarries. I choose to be tethered to my God because I know that in his timing, for his purpose, and for his glory, he will deliver me. It's hard to wait. But I wanna tell you tonight, don't be afraid of the waiting. Can I tell you one more little thing? Can I tell you something people who are waiting don't need to hear? They don't need to hear your new ideas. For plantar fasciitis, you don't have to text me and tell me to freeze a water bottle and put it under my foot. I've done it. Can I tell you someone in an extended period of singleness, she doesn't need to change a darn thing about herself. She needs to sit and be magnified by her church for being a woman of faithfulness, not at some point asking, is something wrong with her? She's past 30 and single. We need to celebrate our women who are single in this church. Do you hear me? Woo! Little bit of a pet peeve right there. You're past 30 and single, what's wrong? A man's past 30 and single, he's vivacious and adventurous, please. Sorry, sorry. Ladies, it's hard to wait and we need help. We need encouragement. So to remind ourselves of that encouragement tonight, I've asked three beautiful women to come up and join me on stage. And I would love for you all to help welcome to the stage with me, Ann Piper, Sharon James, and Jackie Miller. All right, so Ann Piper, just by way of introduction, um, Ann is on staff here at Watermark Church, and anything pretty that goes on paper is, a, is touched by her hands, so we're really grateful for her. Um, and then Sharon James is a beautiful interior designer, and she has been a pioneer towards helping our body do some much-needed work in the advancement of racial reconciliation. Yes. And then Jackie Miller is one of my dearest friends. She was a part of our body for a long time. And she, in the last two and a half years, have, has moved to Florida. And I'll let her tell you a little bit more of why in a second. But I brought these women up. I'm gonna tell you, first of all, these women have hard stories. God's allowed to walk them to walk through difficult things. I don't bring them up here to parade their story in front of you. This is privileged information. Your ears are blessed to get to hear what they're sharing. They are taking their deepest, darkest, and they're displaying it out to you. That's a vulnerable place. And so, um, Anne, will you just start, tell us a little bit about who you are and what God's allowed you to walk through and why that has tested your resolve to delight in him. Well, Kelly, thank you so much. Is my Yeah, it is. All right. First of all, thanks for that great message. That's yeah. exactly what I needed to hear tonight. Um, my name is Ann Piper. I am the mom of two really wonderful boys. My son, Max, is a um, college sophomore, and my son, Patrick, um, is autistic, and he is a high school senior. And for 21 great years, I was married to a man named Matt Piper, and my story really revolves about that, um, around that relationship. So um, I'll take you back to the summer of 2011, 
um, had a busy summer plan. We're about halfway through the summer, so I'm starting to think about school starting. Um, my doctor ran some tests because she wanted to make sure that my appendix was um, in good shape. And um, behind the appendix on the scan, just completely out of the blue, she saw a um, hard mass tumor in my kidney. And I was diagnosed with renal cell carcinoma, which is a $10 word for kidney cancer. So instead of school shopping and all that kind of stuff and getting my kids ready to go back to school, um, I had my right kidney taken out. And it was a long um, recovery process. And uh, if there was anything good in that, it was that my husband, Matt, was there right with me every day, all the doctor's appointments, and just right there holding my hand during the surgery. And so even though I would not have written cancer into my story, um, it was really one of the sweeter times in our marriage, and I'm very thankful for that. And so I would say I'm home recovering, um, and September 17th, 2011 was just couldn't have been a more ordinary day. I was about five weeks out from the surgery. Um, Matt and I went on a walk, put the kids to bed. He was watching football. I turned in a little early and went to sleep. And um, September 18th is a day I will never forget um, because I woke up and to my horror, my precious husband had died in the night for um, what I found out later was um, complications from a massive seizure. And so, I mean, everything that I thought God had planned for me changed in an instant. I was overwhelmed with grief and overwhelmed with the responsibility of raising um, two boys on my own, um, one of whom has special needs. And really, I had walked with the Lord my whole life by God's grace. I had had a relationship with Jesus for a long time. But I really was at a point where I had my real first crisis of faith. Um, and I would look at friends who were not believers, and their lives looked a lot better than mine, a whole lot easier. And fortunately, um, the Lord had built some of the things that you talked about tonight, Callie. Um, he had built community around me who encouraged me. He gave me this wonderful body of believers who reminded me of God's goodness. And he gave me his word, specifically John 6, um, verses 66 through 69. And in those verses... Um, Jesus' teaching is becoming more challenging to the people that are listening, and people are falling away. His, and he turns to his disciples that day, and he says, um, will you be leaving too? And Simon Peter turns to Jesus and says, um, Lord, where would we go? Yeah. Only you have the words of eternal life. Um, I, have, I know and I've come to believe that you are the Holy One of God. And that's exactly what I needed to remember to sustain my faith, and to really put my trust and hope in Jesus in the worst season of my life. Believe me, I looked for hope and joy in other places. I looked at the bottom of a pint of Ben and Jerry's ice cream. Yes. I looked at the bottom of a Nordstrom bag. I looked at a bottom of, a, I'd love to say a glass, but a bottle of wine. Yeah. That cannot be found in any of those places. Yeah. Um, only Jesus had the words of eternal life, and that is what has sustained me, his love and his joy and his peace has sustained me over these last seven and a half years. And, and I've, I've seen that in your life played out beautifully. And I think about, you know, when he says, where would we go, Lord? I know each of you has experienced that in your own way. And so, Sharon, will you tell us a little bit about your experiences and what God's brought you and how it's tested your resolve to delight in him? Hi, my name is Sharon. I have a new life in Christ, and I'm, in reco I'm recovering from pride, perfectionism, and wounds caused by racism. Hi, Sean. <laughs> Hi, Regen friends. Um, <laughs> I share that. Um, actually, that last struggle has taken me um, a long time to process and to openly share, um, mainly because um, of a lot of lies I believed about God, um, about mankind, and just myself. Um, but the God has been kind and in the last year has allowed me um, through a series of events and um, conversations to really process through those wounds caused by racism. Um, and I'm now just walking freedom, believing that um, I'm seen by God and known by God. Um, but just a little bit of my backstory is that I'm, I grew up in the Dallas area. Um, my parents modeled a deep love for Jesus 
Um, and my brother and I attended a small private school where we were one of two to three black families that um, attended there. Um, some of my earliest memories were of classmates asking me why my hair was different, why my skin was so dark, um, and if I had spent too much time in the sun or the mud. Um, and just a few other stories that just really help um, you um, see some of the lies that I that followed were um, I had a fifth grade classmate who just intentionally took any opportunity he could to um, taunt me. He would um, follow me around the classroom with a sharpie asking if he could write on me and then would follow up with but wait I can't I wouldn't be able to see it because you're black. No. He proceeded to tell me that his grandfather was a proud Klansman and that he wanted to follow in his footsteps. And so that is just one example that led to a deep distrust um, of, of men, specifically white men. Um, and also, I just felt like people would be kind to my face, um, but haters of me behind closed doors. And so that really just created this deep distrust of people. Um, and I questioned if a believer that I thought, someone I thought was a believer believed that too about me. Um, and then just not so many years ago, I was in um, East Texas with a few friends. We had just finished up launch retreat and we stopped to grab a bite to eat. And um, for whatever reason, I went first, uh, grabbed a cup, um, saw this man in the restaurant, locked eyes with him, but he did not like that. Um, he was eating with his family, he stood up, he stepped towards me and called me the N-word, and I was frozen. I really didn't know what to do. And I motioned or stepped to my friends that were nearby and told them what had happened. And they instantly wanted to do something, and I told them I feared for my safety. And I wanted to leave. And so they believed me in that moment. And we left. And we spent the whole car ride home just processing what had happened. And that was just an instance where the Lord was kind to put people in my life that didn't question what I had told them. And they moved in an act of love and concern for my safety to to move me out of that space. And so that is just an example of um, the Lord bridging those two examples and um, putting people in my life that believed me and cared for me and showed me the love of Christ. And so Sharon, like before that event that happened at launch, was that, was that one of the first times that people believed your narrative, believed your story and, and tried to fight for you, like in your life? Wholeheartedly, there are just so many instances where I would want to speak up, um, but it had been shut down in previous conversations because people said racism didn't exist anymore. And I, I didn't know, I didn't know how to proceed for someone that didn't agree that something that I faced daily existed, um, easily shut me down. But that like, I know for all of us puts a pit in our stomach because I think it's so easy to go, not today, but it is today. And I'm proud of your bravery as you've walked through that and being able to come and share with us and to choose joy like I see you do. Um, Jackie, will you tell us what God's allowed you to walk through and how it's tested your resolve to delight in him? Uh, my name's Jackie Miller. I was diagnosed with cystic fibrosis when I was born, and my parents learned that my life expectancy was probably in the teenage years. Um, cystic fibrosis, if you don't know about it, it's a genetic lung disease. Um, and Callie's invited me here because it's my dream to tell you about my mucus. So I'm going to go ahead and tell you about my mucus problems. Um, cystic fibrosis causes your mucus to be really thick and sticky, um, kind of like oatmeal is what I've heard. So if you like a word picture like that. Um, and it affects anywhere you have mucus, which unfortunately is kind of through your whole body. So mostly it causes me to have chronic lung infections. And to combat the lung infections, for the past 10 years, I've done about one to two rounds of IV antibiotics each year. And that just means I get a pick line. I do two to four weeks of medications, rips up the old gut pretty well. And um, 
that's part of my therapy. I do anywhere from like an hour to an hour and a half of breathing treatments each day. I put in like a life vest looking thing that shakes my chest and helps mucus come up. Um, one of the side effects of having scarring in your lungs is that you have these sweet little vessels that get angry and rupture. So I've had what I call lung bleeds where blood will come into my airways, which is not where it's supposed to be, and come out and it induces a lot of panic. Um, also, I take about 30 pills each day to help me process and digest fat and proteins. If I forget my 30 pills, my body gives me what I call a toilet timeout for about 30 minutes. <laughs> so you can imagine what that entails. Um, and I kind of live in fear of getting sick. And so when my, we're, we're blessed to have three children, Max, Bo, and Riggs. And when they get sick, I love them from behind a mask and gloves and which is how everybody loves to receive love, I know. So I kind of live um, with this awareness that a common cold could land me in the hospital and be a couple weeks of IVs. Um, and also just living with this kind of underlying awareness um, on an emotional level that my time is limited and the hugs I'm giving my husband and my kids, um, there's, you know, it's going to be a shorter period than I would hope for. So I live with that awareness as well. So these three women are sitting in the audience tonight as I'm asking them to delight in God. That's an audacious claim for what these women have walked through. And yet each of these women do that in the most glorious ways that I've ever seen. So Jackie, how, how have you learned, how have you learned to answer that audacious claim of me telling you, hey, delight in Jesus amidst what he's given you? That seems like a crazy claim. Uh, well, I didn't start out doing that. I started out delighting in me, and um, until I was about a sophomore in college, I thought that my performance is what I was going to put my trust in. I was an accomplished athlete. I had earned this track scholarship to the University of Oklahoma, if you've heard of it. <laughs> there are not many people saying that in Florida. We found one, and we literally stalked him, sent him a letter in the mail. It's really, I'm not kidding. This is off, off script. Okay, back to the script. Okay, so I was putting my, my trust in my abilities. And then sophomore year came around and I got sick. I thought I could outrun cystic fibrosis and I was wrong. So that was a point where I realized like my hope isn't something that's failing and I'm gonna put my hope in Jesus. And then I started to explore his promises and this man heals people. And I was like, there it is, my promised land, he's gonna heal me. And it's going to be beautiful, and that is when I'm going to have joy and strength and hope and comfort. But he took me on a little bit of a detour, and um, it was confusing at times. But the practical things I did to delight in him, first I turned to him in chaos and when I was going through um, times of struggle. So the lung bleeding, let's go back to that. So when that happens, I need to be still and not freak out and keep my heart rate down. Otherwise, more blood comes quickly. So naturally, I would pick up my phone in that moment and start researching. I was like, okay, what supplement? Yes, it's vitamin K. I need more K, so I will my blood will clot. Oh, I need to do paleo harder. I'm going to do more paleo. Whole I should have been doing Whole30. I had sugar at lunch. That's what it was. And if I would have like, found somebody that told me to stand on my head for two weeks, I would have tried that. So I was desperate. And at that point, I was putting my hope in my ability to research and to out-sleuth CF. Um, and it felt like it was not working. And so I decided a practical way to change that is to, to turn to the Lord in crisis. So I started picking up my Bible during the lung bleed and sitting and just letting his words calm me and comfort me. And that's what I felt. He did not disappoint. He met me in that place. Secondly, um, is that I looked for God's hand and I listened for his voice in everything. And so when I, um, I know for... For Moses, he said when he was leaving Egypt, he didn't fear the king because he heard him who was invisible. He saw him who was invisible. And so it's less scary to go through hard things when we are seeing God's hand. So we were seeing God provide in huge ways. We had over $9,000 of medical debt. Adam, my husband, gets a phone call. They're looking for a meteorologist to start teaching at UT Dallas the next week. That's I'm a meteorologist. <laughs> and I live two miles from UTD. And so um, I accepted the job, and the pay that semester was $9,000. We saw community group members step up and, and give, us, give financially towards debt that we had mounting up. 
we had community group members, including Callie right here, who would ask me really hard questions, like, no, how are you really doing? Like that face she was doing earlier, like, that you can't deny and you can't answer um, with just a smile and a grin. And so asking me the hard things and then wrapping their arms around me. Um, and also the, just the practice of turning to God's word each morning. I would be blown away when I would find something in scripture that spoke so directly to a need I had that day. Um, the third way is just crying out to the Lord. I had um, a lot of really pretty sweet prayers that I would tie up with this bow. Like, I know you're gonna work everything out though, but I didn't believe it. And it took a lot of the ugly park your car and like snotty nose yell praying, like sounds like she's in labor kind of praying thing. <laughs> Um, where I could just confess to the God that already knows me that these are my fears, my really deep fears. Like, what about the boys? You know, like, the, the, thing, the things that really scared me. And also just my envy. Like, I want a different story, you know? And so it, it took me getting real with God to receive the same measure and even abundantly more comfort. Um, so I think in the beginning I said I thought that I was headed for physical healing, and because I was sure that peace, comfort, strength, and joy only came in the absence of cystic fibrosis, but I feel like the borders between my promised land and my wilderness are blurry now because I'm still in a place where there's suffering, but there is joy, peace, comfort, and hope because that comes from a person, not from yeah. a circumstance. Wow, amen. And, and Jackie, I feel like... Um, one of the things that she said that I think is so important, in order for us to take step towards intimacy with Jesus, we have to acknowledge our pain, right? We don't have to do this Christian thing where we feel like um, everything's fine, it's fine, it's fine, it's fine. It's not fine. And it was never meant to be fine. Jesus tells us in this world, you will have tribulation, but take heart, I've overcome the world. And so Sharon, how did you remind yourself of that to just learn to live in this delight of God amidst the way people treated you and having to wake up every day wondering if you were going to be treated differently because of the color of your skin? I think learned is a very key word. Um, I, um, I came to know the Lord at a very young age, and I fully believe that he created man, that we'd sin, and because of our sin, we'd earn death. Um, but God um, is loving and kind would create a way for us to be restored to him. Um, so I understood that, but what I missed is just, um, just his heart and knowing what a relationship with him could look like. And for me, I had to learn kind of the theme of scripture, lots of themes of scripture, um, and really understand that diversity was his idea. Yeah. Um, there, I just often hear people go to Revelation to talk about what it will be like in the end time, um, but I firmly believe that um, diversity is woven throughout Scripture. It was not a um, an end um, thing. It is a beginning. It's woven beginning to end um, from Genesis to Revelation. And so understanding God's heart for diversity has really helped me to understand um, my circumstances um, maybe something he allows to accomplish something greater. Um, and it wasn't until I fully um, understood um, what the, some of the themes in the gospel um, or the Bible really were hitting on. And diversity is woven through scripture. It's not a, at the end, I'm going to fix it. He has put people in this world like you and I to speak into, to hate and to sin. And we have an opportunity to do that. And so as I learned his character, um, of his plan, um, I, I've really begun to, to really have an understanding that I'm not an accident, I'm not overlooked, I'm not a mistake, and he sees me. And every di piece of diversity in this room was his plan. Yes, that's beautiful. And I would say sometimes as we're encouraging someone to better delight in God, we do it well. And I think as the three of you can attest Sometimes we don't do it well. And sometimes we feel the need to um, say something when we really should just be quiet and be a heartbeat and just be with each other. And so, Anne, how could the body of Christ encourage you better to delight in the Lord? I would say for me, um, 
the pathway to joy kind of took a, a long winding road. And um, for me, what helped was um, looking at Matthew chapter seven, um, the parable of the wise and foolish builders. And um, so in the story, um, there are two builders and um, one chooses to build his house on the solid rock and the other, the foolish builder, um, builds his house on sand. And the scripture says the rains came and the streams rose and the winds beat and blew the house and the house that was built on the rock did not fall um, and the foolish builder's house is destroyed. And I think just in those months of being overwhelmed with grief, um, I looked at that scripture with an entirely different viewpoint. The wise builder and the foolish builder had the exact same storm. Um, The wise builder did not get a thunder shower and the the foolish builder get a category three um, hurricane. Everybody in this story gets wet. And so I think what helped me is to, is to reset my expectation and watch other people go through suffering and cling to God and, and to understand that the storm was coming. I needed to, as a follower of Christ, I was not exempt from suffering. Mm. And in a lot of ways, in a weird way, that gave me a lot of comfort. This world is not my home. And as believers, I have to expect adversity And I also have to expect that the storm is coming. And I experienced it, and by God's grace, he, through time in his word, and through time with his people, and through nights like this where I get to worship him and praise him, he had built a foundation in my life, a foundation of faith, that withstood the storm. And so I guess what I would want anybody who can hear my voice tonight to know is... um, The storm is coming. Adversity is coming your way. I really hope it's a long time from now, but whether it's tomorrow or 10 years from now, the storm is coming. And so if you know the Lord, um, delight in him, abide in his word, abide with his people and spend time praising his name and spend time in prayer. And if you don't know him, talk to somebody about that tonight. Um, Place your trust in him because adversity and things that will bring you to your knees, those things are coming. And Jesus is the only one that you can tether yourself to and withstand the storm, not only withstand it, but have the joy that he gives us. And so um, I think that's, that's the long path to joy that, just, that God keeps filling me with, whether it's a good day or a bad day. I can take comfort in in all that Jesus has to offer. And it's, I'm so thankful for him. He is a good God. He is a good God. Y'all, will you thank these women for sharing with us? Ladies, I told you I was gonna ask you something hard tonight. And um, I asked these women something hard tonight and they're continually asking themselves that same hard thing. Can I tell you something? Tonight, I have said that when we delight in God in the triumph, we delight in him by worshiping him, not his gifts. When we delight in God in trials, we delight in him by remembering his promises. And when we delight in God in the tarrying, we do it by holding on to hope. And can I tell you something? Beyond a shadow of a doubt, if you don't know Jesus Christ as your savior, you can't do it. You can't do what I'm asking of you. And I want you to know that God knew the suffering of man and he was brokenhearted about it. And he was so brokenhearted that he sent his son down first from heaven, first to experience it and then to be the remedy for it. Y'all, there is a God in heaven that knows every tear that you've cried, every hair on your head. He sent his perfect son to live a perfect life that you couldn't live, die a death that you deserve, and he rose again in victory so that you could live in victory too. Do you know him? If you don't, there's gonna be people down here at the end after we sing this song that it would be their joy to speak to you of him because he has set us free from the shame of racism, 
from the heartbreak of losing our spouse, from the fact that we don't know how many breaths we have in our body. He set us free from it and he wants to set you free tonight. Will you all pray with me? King Jesus, you are the giver of life. You are the giver of all good things. You are the God who turned the Nile to blood just because you adore your people and you wanted to set them free. And God, tonight you wanna set us free. You want us to live in delight of you. Our delight of you is the remedy to the pain of suffering. So it is beyond my comprehension that tonight you know the fear, the thoughts, and the feelings of every single woman in this room. So would you be near to the brokenhearted? Would you save those who are crushed in spirit? Would you rejoice with those who are high on the mountaintop of triumph tonight? And would you know that the ones who are tarrying in the desert have your hand right beside them? You are a good, good God. And because of you, we do not have to want. We lack no good thing. You adore us and we trust you. And it's in your son's precious name we pray. Amen.